0: Go to the Word of God this morning, and I'm going to be looking at Philippians uh, chapter 2, Philippians, the second chapter. I'll let you locate that in your Bibles for a moment. Second chapter of Philippians I'm just reading two verses, verse 12 and 13. Paul said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Underneath your feet, depending of course where you're standing, there is an abundance of untold riches, deposits of various Ores and irons, seams of coal, rich veins of silver and gold, layers of minerals and precious stones. And God has worked them into the earth. And now man has got to work them out of the earth. God has worked them in, man's got to work them out. This term, work out your own salvation, in verse 12, Among other things, this was a word that miners used in those days, those who mined. And Guy H. King said, regarding this verse, he says, I am to mine what is already mine. I am to mine what is already mine. We are to work out what God has already worked in. Now, verse 12 has nothing to do at all with working out your own salvation. Nothing to do with working out, but getting saved. Paul's writing here to the Philippian church, these were already saved people, he's writing to. But it has everything to do with us working out of our lives what God has worked in our lives. The deposits that God has put within us, we have somehow got to work it out of us. That's what the verse is trying to say to us. Warren Wiersbe said the Christian life is not supposed to be a series of ups and downs, but a process of ins and outs. Verse 13 says, God works in us. Now works here is a different word than in verse 12. In verse 12, where we are to work out our own salvation, it means we are to finish, to complete to work it out, to do all that we can do to bring it to fruition, to make sure that everything God has worked in, that we're working it out. And it's working, we're doing it, and we're on the road to completing it, to finishing it. Paul says, I've run my race, I've finished my course. He worked it out of his life, everything that God had worked in. In verse 13, the word for works is a different word. It means to energize, to energize. God energizes us. He gives us the power and the desire to work out of our lives what he has worked into our lives. Simple, isn't it? Understand it easily what I'm saying. But this is what the scripture is trying to get over to us here. In Galatians 2 verse 8, listen to what it says. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised or to the Jews has also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Two entirely different men, two entirely different callings. But Paul says just as God worked effectively in Peter, he has worked effectively in me. And all of us has different callings, all of us has different abilities, all of us has different giftings. God has worked them into our lives. He's left deposits in our lives. It's up to us individually to work that out. And God gives us the ability. He energizes us to be able to do that. In Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power of that works in us. So there is an energizing power that works in us, helping us to work out of us what God has worked in us. So God just doesn't deposit within us and then just lets us get on with it. We have to do certain things, obviously, but he gives us the power to do what he wants us to do. He gives us even the very desire to do that, what he wants us to do. The verse that we read at the beginning, Philippians 2, in the New Living Translation, here's what it says. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And so here we are as believers, and in many ways we're like an on-mind mind. We are full of God's riches, but we have to work it out. But thank God He will give us the power and the desire and the ability to be able to work out to be able to overcome every obstacle and every stumbling block and everything that holds us back from working out that which God has worked in. God has a vested interest in you. God has deposited so much in your life and He has a vested interest in you working that out in your life because you are His representative. You are ambassadors for Christ, the Bible says. And two Peter chapter one, three, and four, again in the New Living Translation, says, "By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to testify by means of His marvelous glory and excellence, And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So in other words, everything we need to work out what God has worked in, God has already given it to us. He gives us the ability. He even gives us the very desire. Now, in Philippians, sorry, in Philemon, uh, little book of Philemon. There's a little verse here, verse 6. And Paul says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we are defective in this area, sometimes we are slow to even acknowledge the good things that are within us in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes we are much more negative about ourselves. We see and we know and we feel our weaknesses (laughs) and people of course will point them out to us wholesale and oftentimes after you get a deluge of all of that you forget that God has put so much within us So many good things that we fail to acknowledge are within each of us. And Paul says that our faith becomes much more effective if we acknowledge the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not a a new problem dealing with when God comes to us and he calls us. And he deposits within our lives the giftings and the blessings and all that he wants us to work out. It's not unusual to struggle with this and perhaps to doubt it and to wonder about it and to weigh it against what we know as our weaknesses, what we feel are our inabilities, our inadequacies, our inferiorities, and all the rest of the negative stuff that we feel about ourselves. And sometimes it's difficult for us then to, to look at what God has put in. We, we, we can't almost see through the other stuff that's in our lives to see the good things, to see the, the rich veins that God has placed within us that we've got to mine out. Way back in the Old Testament, Exodus, we find Moses had this similar problem, did he not? In Exodus chapter 3, you remember how Moses had got to this place. You remember when he was born, the, the Pharaoh had given a, a decree to all the midwives to kill all the little Hebrew boys that would be born as soon as they're born to kill them. And uh, the midwives really didn't like that. They liked to save life rather than to take life. And uh, so many of the little children were spared. Uh, Moses was one of them. And then you remember how Moses' mom and dad, how by faith, Hebrews tells us, that they made this little cradle, this little ark of bulrushes, and they put it onto the Nile and floated it down the Nile, knowing at that exact moment, farther down the river, uh, that Pharaoh's daughter would come to bathe, as she did every morning. And of course, they sent Miriam, his older big sister, down to watch what would happen. And whenever the little baby cried, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, knowing that it was a Hebrew child, but her heart was touched and it was melted and she just couldn't obey her dad even. And when she saw this little baby and she just fell in love with this little child and of course Miriam was there and Miriam said, would you like a Hebrew nurse to take care of? Oh yeah, that would be lovely. And of course that was Moses' mother and she paid him handsomely to do that. But then there came a time obviously whenever he would be weaned and he would have to go and be brought up in the household of Pharaoh and be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he was that for many, many years until he was 40 years old. Brought up in the way of the Egyptians and had all the riches and wealth and influence and affluence that there possibly could be. But in his heart of hearts, he knew that God had called him to be a deliverer of his people. And whenever he saw an Egyptian being cruel to a Hebrew, remember what he did? He killed the Egyptian. He buried him in the sand. He was a deliverer. He was a rescuer. Why would he not do that? He was called to deliver his people but not in that way. And the next day he saw two Hebrews fighting and he tried to separate them and they said, are you going to kill us the way you killed the Egyptian? And as soon as he knew he was exposed and caught on, uh, he ran because if that got back to Pharaoh's palace, then he was in big, deep trouble. And so he ran to Midian. For the next 40 years in the backside of the desert after uh, his father-in-law's sheep until he had that wonderful experience at the burning bush where God spoke to him and told him now was the time to go back to Egypt and to be the deliverer. It was now time that he was commissioned to do that and to get on with it. And of course, whenever we begin to read into chapter 3, into the story here, when God told him at verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Now there's a first natural reaction, isn't it? When God comes to us ask and asks us to do something for his kingdom. Who am I? Why would God come to me? Now, I remember for 40 years he had spent as a shepherd. A very lowly, menial job. No longer the prince of Egypt. And so he was humbled to the dust. So no wonder he said, who am I? I'm just a lowly shepherd. Who am I to do this? And so God said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now you can see Moses' reluctance here. And as we read on, you see him further reluctant. He's, he's looking for excuses right now. He doesn't feel he's up to the task. He's looking at his life, which seems an abject failure in his own sight. How could God possibly use him? And God says, I'll be with you. And he says, well, if you're with me and I go to the people, who am I going to say sent them, sent me? Then Moses said to God, And even I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am is one of the great names of God. Moreover, God said to Moses, Then you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and have seen what is done to you in Egypt, and I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, and so forth. And then when you read on down into chapter 4, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. (laughs) That's so like us, isn't it? It It's just so human to look even when God speaks, even when God reassures, even when God gives his name, even when God promises, I'll be with you. We're still looking for excuses, aren't we? And so the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it down. So he cast it to the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out by his hand and he caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. Very dangerous thing to do to catch a snake by the tail, isn't it? Snake hunters usually catch it by the back of the neck. You know, get the biting part first. (laughs) And so, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it. And it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said, now put your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand into your bosom again. He put his hand into his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. Behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you, nor take heed of the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take water from the river, pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. What more could God possibly do to convince this man that God had put within him all that he needed to be the person that God wanted him to be? Unbelievably, Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, Lord, you know I'm not good at speaking. You know I'm not a public speaker. You know, Lord, I would die if I had to get up in front of people. Did you ever said anything like that? (laughs) Well, this is Moses again making excuses. And he probably wasn't a good public speaker. And for sure he was slow of speech. And probably most definitely, probably most definitely, that's a bit of an oxymoron there, isn't it? Most definitely he had a stammer. And so everything he felt to be a spokesman for God had gone against him. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, said the Lord. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, "Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. (laughs) Isn't it incredible? After all the promises and the signs and God's presence and God's word and the miraculous things that would happen. At the end of it, he says, Lord, send somebody else. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Hmm. It's never good to get God angry. Sure, it's not. You're never going to win that fight, are you? So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well and look he is also coming out to meet you when he sees you he will be glad in his heart now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do so shall be your so he shall be your spokesman t- Uh, To the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand, which you shall do the signs. Moses had a hard time working out what God had worked in, hadn't he? And my guess is that we're not much better that we often have a hard time working out what God has worked in. And oftentimes we make excuses. You know, Saul of Tarsus had so much potential. He had so much potential and nobody could see it. Nobody. Because at the moment when he had so much potential, he was so against the church, so against What God stood for. So against this thing that God was raising up in Israel. And he fought it tooth and nail. He hated it with a passion. But he had a passion. A strong passion. He was zealous. But it was a zeal without knowledge. It was a wrong kind of zeal. But at least he had zeal. And he had passion. And if only God could turn that around. If only God could get a hold of him and turn that passion around, which he did, didn't he? And he became so passionate for the Lord. But you know what Paul did after that Damascus Road experience, that miraculous conversion? He went completely out of the public eye and he went into the desert place alone with God. And there Christ came to him and gave him such a revelation Two-thirds of the New Testament are written by the Apostle Paul. The revelation of the church. We would never have understood the church without the writings of the Apostle Paul. God worked so much into him, so much of a deposit of revelation into him, then he had to go and he had to work it out. And it took him every single day of his life to work out that which God had worked in, didn't it? What is God working in your life? What is God trying to work into your life? Maybe it's patience. In James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, or perseverance, that means. The ability to continue to go on and on and on. It's a wonderful quality in a believer in the midst of all of their trials that they don't quit and they don't give up and they go on and they go on and they go on. They persevere in the midst of it all. And maybe that's what God's trying to work into our lives where we give up so easily sometimes instead of working on and working through and holding in there and not giving up. That's a great quality to have. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so if God's trying to work Patience in us, then we gotta work that out of us and allow it to complete us, allow it to do something within us, give us that ability to be able to stand. When everything else is fallen, we're still standing, when the dust has settled, we're still standing. When the devil comes full bore against us, we're still standing at the end of it. Amen. So these are some of the things that God wants to work into the life of a believer. Then in chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, What does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, God has put faith into our hearts. <laughs> Somebody's listening. <laughs> The Bible says that God has given us the measure of faith. Every believer the measure of faith. But we gotta work it out. And how does it work out? It's worked out on action, it's worked out on deeds, it's worked out on what we do. So, so faith is a working thing. It's not passive, it's active. Got to work it out of our lives. So these are the things that God puts within us. Fruit, you know, in in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, all of those good things that when you have the Holy Spirit are in you. They're built in, they come with the Holy Spirit. But that's got to be worked out. All of those good things, the fruit of the Spirit, it's got to be worked out in our lives on a daily basis. God just doesn't want it resident in our lives. He wants it to be out in our lives. He wants us to exercise it, to use it, to be able to people to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. How are they going to see it if they never use it? Hmm? They don't understand the fruit of the Spirit. They don't understand the Holy Spirit. But if our lives is lived according to the Holy Spirit, and our lives, if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is working out of our lives, then they may not understand what it is, but they know it's different. They're not seeing that generally around them. So it marks us because we're working it out of our lives. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, work it out with fear and trembling. Now this was a, a term that the Apostle Paul was fond of using. First Corinthians 2 and 3, Paul testified how that he ministered the word With fear and trembling. 2 Corinthians 7.15, he says, How they received Titus with fear and trembling. Ephesians 6 and 5, How servants should obey their masters with fear and trembling. Now, fear and trembling here does not mean trusting in ourselves. Sorry, fear and trembling here means not trusting in ourselves. Being cautious about ourselves. Thinking soberly about ourselves. In Romans 12 and 3, Do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each of us a measure of faith. Uh, Romans, sorry, First Corinthians ten, twelve. It, it tells us they're taking heed to ourselves, lest we fall. So, here is a word of caution. Here's a word of balance. On the one hand, we got to acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus and try to work that out of us. But on the other hand, be aware of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Be aware of our own humanity. Be aware of our own nature, be aware of that, and be cautious about that as we're working out so that we don't become puffed up or arrogant believers, that we're humble believers. And even though we not apologize for any good thing that God has put in us, but we realize without Him we're nothing, without Christ we're absolutely nothing. But in Christ, then we can be what he wants us to be. So there's a balance in this. And that's why Paul says, work it out with fear and trembling. Being cautious. Not being boastful or arrogant. Because how quickly we can fall. How easily we can slip up. Have you ever felt yourself, you had conquered some area in your life. And you were pleased that now you can handle that. And then suddenly, suddenly, as soon as you said that. Then something happens and you realize, no, I haven't conquered that just yet. I'm not quite there just yet. Because our tongue betrayed us, our action betrayed us. And we realized, "Now I've got to be cautious. I-, I can't do this without Christ. I need the fruit of the Spirit. I need God's grace in my life every single day. You, and so we've got to be thinking soberly about ourselves. In chapter 2, verse 13 of Philippians, the new living te- Translation, it says, for it is God's own pleasure that he works in us the will or the inward desire and to do the outward action. God gives us the inward desire and the outward ability to do it. So God has put within us everything that is necessary to live successfully in this Christian life. But now he says, start working out. I'll help you. I'll give you the grace. I'll even give you the desire. I'll give you the ability. But start working it out daily in your lives. Wesley says, firstly, God works in us, therefore we can work. Secondly, God works in us, therefore we must work. 1 Corinthians 15 58, Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So many things that God has put within us that's pleasing in his sight. And nothing pleases him more than whenever other people see those good things in us that's pleasing in His sight. And then finally, Galatians 6 and 9, let us not be weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we faint not. So there's lots of room for growth, isn't there? Because there's so much potential. We're scratching the surface of all the good things that God has put within us. And we've got a life, whatever much life we've got left in order to find a way to get it out, to express that. And whenever we do, let me tell you, we advertise Christ to the world around us because they'll see Jesus in us. And they'll notice there is a difference in us. (laughs) At the funeral yesterday, we took it jointly with a a lovely, lovely rector of a church of iron, precious man. And after it was over, we were visiting the home. And uh was a lady just sitting beside me. I, I'd never met her before. She'd never met me. And she says, uh, Are you Pentecostal? <laughs> I says, I am. The rector stands behind me, and I didn't see him. I don't think she saw him. I felt a wee bit embarrassed for him. She says, I just knew it. I just knew it. She says, because you are different. And then he heard it and he says, oh yes, he says, was it that Pentecostal glow? He made fun of it, you know. I was going to say, no, it was a two horn sticking out of my head, but. (laughs) People in your workplace, people in your family, your neighbors, will know the difference. If we're working it out of our lives, they will see that and they will see Christ in us. The hope of glory, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you help all of us today, each and every individual one of us, help us to acknowledge the good things that you put within us. Not in a boastful, bragging way, not in an arrogant way, but in a humble way, but yet in a truthful way. Lord, you have put this within me. It's a treasure that you've given to me. Lord, help me to share that treasure, to give that treasure away to others that I may be a blessing for Christ's sake. So we give you thanks today for your goodness, for your spirit, for your word, for all the blessings that is within each of us today. We thank you for that. Let us be ambassadors for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen.